Welcome back to part two of the million dollar question. Joining us as always is Aaron Lesson and Jeff Dufresne, employee Prince George's chief financial officer. Stay tuned, listen to the next 25 minutes and learn about how you can step-by-step intentionally and strategically grow your workforce development area from $1 million into the workforce development empire your community needs. Okay, so what's our next step? I still need to, I still need to make 10 million. What are we doing? <laughs> All right. So my, my next my next step would be to hire staff. And so I would want to, and I would want to be like kind of strategic there too. So I want to pay, like you made a, a joke earlier about, you know, paying people like some ridiculously low salary. And then you can't, you can't hire people who understand the complexity of what we do and, you know, have the authority to, to speak to someone who, who needs help. I would invest a little extra in those, in those, you know, I would want a market competitive salary for people because I want to, I want to steal good people from somewhere else. They're working at department of social services, but they're good. I want to steal them. I'm going to pay a little more, you know, or they're working for a big company doing, you know, recruiting and, and, you know, they're doing some HR thing for like a big company. I, I want to steal them away if I can. So I would, I would pay a little extra. I would pay, I would have good fringe benefit package and I would invest in staff development and I would hire enough that they have like a decently small caseload because I want them to do a great job with the caseload. Because again, that success is what I'm going to brag about to try to attract more funding eventually. So I'm not going to overwhelm them. I'm going to set my goals low enough and hire enough people so that there's a decent, a decent caseload for everybody. So invest in my people because if they're going to be successful, then the whole thing becomes successful. And I'm going to get the job seeker side and hire my career counselors, my coaches, and invest on the business services side. You can't do one without the other. I don't want to create a pool of people that are super qualified and none of the employers are coming to hire out of my pool. So right. I want to be investing pretty equally between business services so that they know I've got talent. You need talent, I've got talent. And I've even talked to them like, so what kind of talent do you need? Oh, I'm going to make sure that I, I train towards your needs. And be creating a very specific pipeline from point A to point B you know, there's a pool of people over here. There's a pool of employers over here that have a commonality. So I'm going to invest in both sides of that equation. I, I like that. So if I hear you right, what I heard you say was pay a little more to get more competent people in. So your quality goes up. I mean, it, yes. I mean, right. Versus paying lower, having more actual physical staff, but three staff don't have the same competence as maybe two staff paying those folks a little bit higher so you can get the, you can, cause what you're looking for is the outcome you desire and you can only get right. that with, with competent people. Right. So, yeah. so instead of paying them 45,000, it's like, all right, we'll pay them 55. We'll keep it manageable. But what we're getting for that extra 10 and those fringe benefits, or maybe some incentive or something like that is we're getting that the quality of service is going up by, by a significant amount by paying that, that additional kind of salary or whatever. Exactly. I think that's key. And and, okay. and not just to attract them, but to retain them mm -hmm. because there's nothing more devastating to your program when you can't keep staff. And so, yeah. you know, you promised that you'd deliver 50 placements. Well, gee, I, 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 you know, I, I got to place somebody in my own position first. I don't have any career counselors or I have this revolving door. And so every time, you know, job seekers come in, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm new on the job. I don't I don't really know how to do this. And that diffuses the program, too, because now it doesn't look like I have like competent, strong people. I want to build the confidence. I want people to have a good experience. So I want to get the best and I want to keep them. You know, I come from a, a business background before I came into workforce development. And even, even in workforce development, I've always been with a nonprofit. So we don't have this like government security. 
you know, we could go bankrupt. And so there's always there's always this like business motivation to like think about your customers, give them what they want. The customer is always right. We have to make a profit. And by profit, I just mean you've, you've got to bring in at least as much as you're spending. And so you've got you've got to deliver. And so there's this this mindset to everything that we do that you want to deliver a quality experience for the, the job seekers coming in because you don't want them going back to their elected official and say, oh, yeah, I went to the job center and they didn't help me. And you don't want a business to, to, to hire one of your people. And it's like, oh, my God, why did they send this person to me? This person's not qualified. And they should have known that if they had been paying attention, they will never hire from you again. So delivering that quality experience by hiring well, retaining, training, and that costs money, too. You know, and so we send all our people to your training because, you know, we want, you know, the business. Or That's how I met Aaron was at one of the trainings that he was teaching. You still actually listen to our podcast and talk to us. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> it was really good. I've been, I've been personally, I've been to two of y'all's trainings now because I went to the leadership training yep. and then yep. yeah, Aaron, you, uh, this was like five years ago in Denver. Yeah. Uh, me oh, and wow. my other Jeffrey and, and uh, yeah, Lisa came there's out. about yeah. seven or eight of us there. I still have yeah. contact. Yep. So I, I do remember that. I think what you were just saying about essentially employee engagement, if you're out there and you're like, well, I wish my boss or whoever's in charge at my place would listen to this too, because we all need to get paid more. I I do understand that. But I think in our industry as a whole, we're not seeing people receiving sustainable, equal wage for what they do compared to another industry. And of course, the turnover, you're right, is problematic. You invest in somebody, it takes a while to be able to do our paperwork and get on the system, let alone help someone make their their career decision. It, to really get someone efficient at that and then to, to lose them just because we're not being competitive with our, right. our, our other industry mates, I would call it. Even if it's within an organization that has multiple contractors, I just believe that we really, I love that mo- that motto of yeah, we're gonna take care of ours. We're gonna hire the best. We're gonna we're gonna retain them, and we're gonna train them along the way, right? Yeah, it's short. It's short sighted for sure to try to skimp on salaries, and not not that any any of us are getting rich off workforce right. development. The big companies are always going to be able to pay more, you know, to to their HR senior HR people than we can. Mm-hmm. But you know, at, at least we don't want to be. You know, we don't want to be at the very bottom. You know, we right. want to be competitive. So not, not the highest paid necessarily, because yes, these are government funds. And you know, you've seen the the people in the news that are getting extravagant. So I'm not talking extravagant. I'm not talking wasteful. I'm just talking competitive. Right. Yeah. And I think that's defensible. And I think it makes a lot of sense in the long run because it, you know, it pays for itself over time. Yeah, we totally agree. And the last, the last thing I would do with that with that million dollars is I would invest heavily in outreach. Um, and I would definitely push the boundaries of outreach because I would want to talk about what this program can do for you, what we can do for you. Make sure people know who you are because you want both the employers to come to you as a resource. You want the job seekers to come to you as a resource. If you attract employers but no job seekers, eventually they come to you and they say, well, you don't have any any talent. Or if if you attract job seekers but not businesses then they're like, you don't have any jobs. You know, yeah, you gave me this training, but now I'm back on my own again. We only succeed if people know that we're here and see us as a resource. And so that's where, and we're competing for people's attention. 
you know, against so many things that you you have to do good marketing, good outreach. And yes, I said marketing. And I know some grants won't allow that, but it's worth it's worth finding funds that can. And so if I had a million dollars that wasn't WIOA and it didn't say I can't do marketing, I would throw some of that in because if they don't know who you are, then they, they're not going to care what your what your training is on. So you might say, I'm doing outreach for this training. And they're like, yep, I've never heard of you. And so you need to invest. Okay. I would overinvest in that in getting the word out, making sure people know who I am. I love the idea of trying, if, if I've got a cohort for 50 people, like, okay, I've got enough training because the last thing I would spend money on was, of course, the, you know, training, supportive services, incentives, whatever it takes. But I would I would save that for last because I would say, okay, how much money is left after I do all these other things? Because ultimately, I would love to have, uh, say, I can afford I can afford to train 50 people out of this million dollars, do outreach, and 200 people are interested in it. Because I want to be able to go to other elected officials, other grantors, foundations, large employers, and say, hey, you know, I had enough money to train 50. I had 200 show up. I know you're, you need talent. I know you want your constituents to get employed. I know you, whoever, whatever their vested interest is, you speak to that. And say, I had to turn away 150 people because I didn't have enough money. But if you, if you invested, and so that now it's, you're using your money to make more money. And so now it's going from just spending money to investing in a program that could attract additional funding. And then as that more money comes in, I can train more people. And so I want to create something. And that's that's where Scalable comes in. Because once I've built a program that's successful with these 50 people, and my caseloads aren't too high, and I've done enough outreach to attract more than enough people, all I need now is training dollars. And that's easier to find because I can I can go to someone and say, I'm not, I'm not building a program. I already have a program. I'm not building a structure. I already have a structure. I just need a little more money to train a few more people who wouldn't give more money to, to see very specific outcomes. It's interesting because I, I think about this as so many boards reach out and, you know, they're like, well, we're all WIOA. Like that's pretty much all we have. And we might have like, we might have a small grant over here that was given mm-hmm. to us, like maybe by like the mayor's office, or maybe we got a little bit of this state money, you know, but we're a small area. So like another area got a million and we got 50,000 because we're this small area. And yeah, you know, what I, what I really hear you saying through this is it, there's, a, well, there's a couple of points as, as you were kind of talking through like, okay, this is what I would do with that money is one setting up everything kind of right from the beginning is helpful, but sometimes like in your situation, working at a nonprofit, you have so much leeway for that. I mean, let's be honest, outside of the WIOA piece, right, which is what your board will govern, the nonprofit itself can go after philanthropic dollars there. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of other avenues and there's not as much governance around that piece of it. Right. So give me your quick take, uh, you know, on this, because this is a question I have. Let's say it's a county board. It's maybe a union shop. Okay, so you've got your board staff. Maybe there's two or three of them. If you're lucky, there's two or three. I've seen some places where it's like one, and then they then they hire. They use about 750 uh, to hire a, a service provider, and then that service provider comes in and was and and is expected to run all of it for 750,000. You know, and so how do you if you're if you're not a nonprofit 
how do you go and, and I mean, this is a question I could probably answer too, but, but I'm curious from your standpoint, a quick tip on how do you get some funding that isn't as restrictive so you can start doing some of the things that you talked about and maybe build this thing? Because I don't know that WIOA necessarily gives you that leeway to do some of this stuff. Definitely not. Yeah. I would say, so again, using that, that business mentality, you mm-hmm. know, wh- where are my customers? Who, who's going to benefit from what I'm doing? And so sometimes it's the employer, especially like right now with the economy, the way it is, the employers can't hire. And so to some degree, there's, there's a pool of money there. They're hiring HR staff to do recruiting. You know what? You could hire a full-time recruiter or you could give half that money to me and I could put it together with half the money from 10 other companies. And now I could build a program by getting Mm. businesses to invest in something above and beyond what, you know, because we was already paying for business services, but either I'm offering something above and beyond the bare minimum, or I'm just because I'm I'm out of wheel of funds. So that's, that's one place I would go. Mm-hmm. And the other would be would be my local electeds. And that's because workforce development, so as we like to say at Employee Prince George's, workforce development is community development and is economic development. And so the local electeds care about growing the economy, you know, that they're responsible for. Mm-hmm. And they care about the communities. And so they often overlook the impact that we have in workforce development, both in growing the tax base, because if someone's employed, now they're paying income tax. And now they're able to buy a house and they're paying property tax. So we make our local economies grow by getting people back to work. But we also keep employers here. You know, we can throw money, you know, economic development can throw money at a company to relocate to our area. But if they can't hire, if they're not quite finding what they want, they, they might pack up, leave and go someplace where it's easier. Yeah. And so we impact that. And we impact our communities because when people have work, it gives them a sense of purpose. It gives them a reason to, you know, go to bed at a decent hour and get up the next morning. A lot of people that are, you know, getting into trouble with, with public safety, with law enforcement, they have too much time on their hands or, or they're desperate for something. And so we take away the desperation. We give them a sense of purpose. And so we make our communities better. And so, you know, why do you keep throwing money at, you know, how can we lock more people up? Well, why don't you throw some money at us and we'll give people like a, a job to go to and we'll kind of help them map out their future. And we'll make them realize you don't have to do whatever you're doing to, you know, make ends meet you know, late at night, you don't have to be robbing houses, you can have a job, and then you don't have to worry about, you know, getting arrested. That's where I think local electeds, if if we tell our story, right, they'll see that like a lot of the other things that they're investing in, they could invest in us, and it would pay off over time and them not having to do is spend as much on on certain other things. Yeah, I think I think that's a really great way to kind of summarize it. I mean, I think sometimes, you know, when we talk about the impact that we have on communities, um, we forget about the correlation, the clear correlation between, you know, there's a reason why certain areas are high crime and high poverty. And then you look yeah. and there's no place to, you know, there's no place to be employed. And, the, and it's like, so places where the employment is high, you tend to see low crime, low, po- you know, I mean, it's, so yeah. it's like, it's yeah, like it's that. A- yeah. It's, and I think that's one of the things from a program standpoint where workforce boards really don't do a great job at telling the story and for and marketing themselves. I mean, we can call it right. outrage for purposes of allowable activities, but really who are you? What's your message? How are you, you know, why are you valuable 
What is your branding like? What are you, you know, what are you doing and, and why should I care? Right. I mean, these are all right. the things. And I think that's the thing. So I, I love this. So here's I'm gonna I'm gonna summarize so I make sure that that I hear everything that you say. You're so systematic in your approach. So I love the way you're thinking about it. So number one, do your your assessment of where are you so you know where you want to go, right? Like yep. where are you at now? Kind of take stock in that. Look at your assets, right? What what current assets do you have to make this happen? What resources might you need to to make it happen, even outside of money, right? I mean, there could be other right. things things that are needed. Pay yourself first and make sure you're setting up your infrastructure. And that includes things like investing in a system where you actually track um, data that is that is beyond the performance indicators, but data that's meaningful to potential other funders. Yep. Hire competent staff and, and make it competitive, those wages, and make sure that we're not just hiring competent staff, investing in them and helping from the retention standpoint. Investing heavily in that outreach piece that we just talked about, which is, and from a demand-driven system standpoint, you know, investing in also the idea that the businesses understand who we are, what we can do for them, in addition to how we we serve the talent pipeline on the other side of things. And then looking at making sure that we invest in obviously training dollars, supportive service dollars, and other incentives. And then for the bonus tip, it was make sure that you're engaged with your LEOs and your, you know, your local elected officials. And I love the idea of going out and talking with businesses to fund in part some of these activities that they Will directly benefit from and seeing, you know, so utilizing employer associations or trade associations to say, hey, we can do this yeah. work for you. It only takes a maybe a 10,000 investment from you or, a, you know, whatever. And, and these are the services we'll provide you as that group. I don't, I don't think a lot of people think to go to businesses and ask them for investment like that. So I, I really, really liked that idea. And I may share that in our next business services course, because I really think that that's an overlooked possibility or opportunity. Oh, yeah. So I love that. I love that absolutely. So did I get them all? Did it would did I sum it up? Yeah, exactly. That, yeah, that, that's perfect. You you hit all the different core elements of kind of creating this sustainable model. I mean, it's yeah. definitely about creating something that can be successful, something that can be scaled. You know, build something that will make more. You know, funds come in. You know, don't overpromise and under deliver. You know, underpromise, overdeliver, and then mm-hmm. just start. You know, bragging about your success. You know, save a little of your outreach money for the very end, where you where yeah. you talk about how many people got a job. Because if someone's looking, you know, like I need someone who can help me get a job, and okay, there's a job center. It's in their name, but yeah, are they any good? But when they post, you know, hey, we just had a you know cohort and we placed fifty people into jobs. We did it for them. We can do it for you. That's a powerful message. Mm-hmm. And so really, yeah, I would do some of the outreach afterwards just to recap it and whet people's appetite for, you know, well, when are you doing your next co- cohort? As soon as we find more funds. Yeah, definitely engage those local electeds. You know, why wouldn't they want this success to continue? Because these are their constituents. These are their communities. These are This is their economy. Let's be honest. These are their voters. If things aren't going well, then they're probably not going to get voted in. But if they, you know, it's kind of one of those, uh, you can, if you invest a little here, we do all the heavy lifting and then you can take all the glory and continue to serve in your position, right? And, and we we kind of call it our community network concept. Like we don't go out into the, the, the net, into the community without thinking of all the different people who might be interested. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if, if we're going to go talk to a major employer, why not loop in, you know, the employer organization, you know, the, the chamber of commerce, the, you know, the, the business roundtable. If we're going into a particular neighborhood, why wouldn't we call the local elected officials who that's their their district? You know, let them take some of the credit. Let them see what we're doing. You know, if, if we have a if we have a job fair and the, you know, the county council member for that area is with us, 
looks good for them because they're like, hey, thanks for bringing this to to our community. Mm -hmm. And it looks good to the county council person who's like, wow, I I didn't even realize you did this. This is really cool. Thanks. Thanks for doing it. Thanks again for inviting me. You know, they become more interested and more vested in in what you're doing. Awesome. That was good stuff, man. That's such good stuff in such a short period of time. Well, first of all, Aaron, do you have anything in closing before we wrap up? I I totally agree. I really, I'm like, we need to target send this to people because (laughs) they're seriously, I mean, I think people who, who might, well, it takes a leader, right? A visionary. It takes, it doesn't always have to be, you know, the fiscal person who would listen to this and go, oh, they should be part of the process. But there's probably individuals who would hear this, but maybe we think, ah, Tad Grant, you know, because we're so practitioner sighted, we don't need what's on their station, so to speak, which I understand for the most, but people need to hear it. Let's just face it. I know there are competitors who will, you know, neighboring organizations or counties where there there's a little bit of maybe sometimes too competitive, right? And they're like, <laughs> well, I don't want you to I don't want you to totally succeed there because I want the contract. Maybe let's let's just be honest. But if we take some of those smaller bites away, I guess is a good way to say it. And you look at our industry as a whole, if more organizations and areas would do this and do it successfully, the individuals we'd be able to serve, one would would grow in both number and quality because well, less, what was step, uh, what was it, the third or fourth step, hiring, retaining, and yeah. training good staff. Like if that model, if you implement it and as an industry, and we can do this on a more holistic scale, well, we're just going to make a name for us. And when I say us, those of us who call this their their career home, right? I'm so excited you said that because it's it should be very much a rising tide lifts all ships sort of concept. Yes. Or like when I've spoken at conferences before. I love it when people say, you know, I love what you're doing in Prince George's County, Maryland. Why aren't we doing that in our community? That's a great question because you should be. You should you should be looking at us and you should be jealous. Your local elected officials should be looking at my local elected officials as role models because in Prince George's County, they have invested a lot in workforce development and, and rightly so. And, and every, everyone else should be like, hey, if Prince George's County is doing it, why aren't we doing it? And if they if they can invest like this, and have good results. Jeez, we should we should invest and get those results. I agree with you. So first of all, I just want to say in closing, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I know every time we see each other, we joke around like we have like four people that listen to us. And I and you are you are like our number one fan besides Aaron's mom. <laughs> but I, I do want to thank you because I know you're so busy and you guys have so much going on at any given time. So thank you so much for just like setting aside some time for us. I think what you had to share was incredibly valuable. And I would love to at some point in the next few months, maybe have a follow up podcast to talk a little bit more about how you kind of braid funding and leverage oh, resources yeah. and things like that. While staying within the parameters of allowable and not, you know, because there's a lot of questions I think that come up for people around the difference, you know, okay, you can co-enroll, but then how, what does that money look like? And how do you, you know, and, and and we've we've experienced where a few of our clients have gotten into some pretty messy findings, uh, monitorings, because people who are supposed to be responsible for the, the financials aren't clear on sometimes where that money can go and how it can yep. be used. 
I don't really think anybody other than probably ourselves wants to read the actual OMB circular because like, you know, <laughs> it's not exactly the, the most riveting stuff. But I would love it if maybe we could set something up in the next few months when things settle down a little bit and maybe come back and have some conversations around that so we can help other people use their money and use it right. So they're not getting, uh, you know, monitored and getting findings and having some some pretty, you know, uh, problems with their fiscal departments, which can really impact the service delivery when things, you know, people are are being told we're going to take money back or now you owe us. And, you know, I mean, that can really cause some things. So I would love it if we could we could maybe schedule something in the future around those conversations as well. Oh, I would love to. As you know, I am your biggest fan, maybe yes. even more so than Aaron's mother. Not that I'm competitive, <laughs> but I'm like, we're neck and neck. And it really was, it really, I really did kind of set up a cliffhanger there, whether intentionally or subconsciously, where it's like, okay, you're going to build this thing and it's going to attract more money. And then people are like, oh, what do I do when I get more money? How do I braid it? And there we yeah. go. We're See that? And, that? and now it becomes a series. You see what I'm yep. saying? This is, you're kind of a genius, not going to lie. I like your vision there. No, you just saw that. I just. We did. Yeah, we did not plan that at all. Um, well, Jeff Dufresne, as I like to say, thank you so much, Jeff Money, for being on. Um, I hope that we get to see you in person sometime soon. I think we'll be, maybe, are we going to see you in Vegas at the Youth Symposium by chance? I am. I've been accepted to present there, so I'm going to be uh, oh. doing two sessions in Vegas. Yep. What are what are? Wait, do a quick plug. What are, what are those sessions so we know and we can make sure people go to them? Okay, so one of them is touching on braiding awesome. a little bit. So um, I'll make sure that I save some save some stuff for your podcast, though. I Thank you. Everything there. <laughs> And then one is going to be on something I touched on earlier, which is kind of that that mindset of like running running your your organization like a business. Mm-hmm. So some Love of it. those things, like not not just like what do stakeholders think of us, but also like what do well these are stakeholders too, but like are, what do the local electeds or the funded you know funders think? So so not so much on just like hey how do we make a profit, but more how do we show people who invest in us that it was a good investment? So so kind of like taking that investor mentality. So like in, in account. You want your company to have, you know, certain types of performance earnings so that, mm-hmm. that your stockholders don't want to like dump your stock. And so it's the same thing here where we, our stockholders are maybe our grantors, you know, the local, the local area, the state, um, even the federal at the federal level, like how are they looking at us and evaluating us and how can we manage ourselves and our programs and our efforts in a way that people will say, oh, good, that's what I want. That's that's the return on investment I want. I want to invest more in that. I love that idea. And, I, and Aaron and I talk about that as a concept all the time, is if more boards operated like everybody, had, like they had shareholders, we'd probably mm-hmm. see a lot more efficiencies and effectiveness happening. So so um, yeah, so I'm excited. Well, we'll be at the Youth Symposium. We will see you there. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us for part two of the Million Dollar Question. Stay tuned and listen to part three, where we are going to continue this conversation and take an even deeper dive into all things fiscal and how we can budget our money wisely, how we can be strategic in developing an infrastructure that'll last a lifetime, grow your organization, build capacity, and impact your community. Stay tuned for that and listen to TAD Talks wherever you hear your podcasts.